When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hi, folks. Welcome to another episode of Film Study. We've got the happy task today of talking about the defense and what a defensive effort it was from the Baltimore Ravens against the Texans on Saturday. Here to do it with me is one of my good friends, Michael Crawford. Michael, how are you doing? I am doing great, Ken. Can't complain. And yeah, what an exciting time, an exciting game. Um, I'm fired up uh, to to talk about this. Yeah. Yeah. First time you've been on the show this year. Missed you a lot. Uh, You're someone I I really love to talk football with. We've been, you know, joking a little bit about this always takes a long time when we do it. We're going to try and keep it down to about two hours here. It'll be released as two separate shows as we always do it. But Michael and I can, can get running down some rabbit holes. That's for sure. No doubt. No doubt. It's fun, though. It's it's fun. But, uh, you know, for for the the listeners and viewers, I I understand. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, great day for football for this town. Uh, I think one of the really nice things is we get to stop hearing a lot of these old BS narratives about the Ravens, about Lamar, about the inability of coaches to adjust. I had somebody hit me up with that on on a, on a, a tweet at halftime. It's like there's another game <laughs> yeah. getting away from them, inability to adjust. Yeah. Blah, 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 blah. No, <laughs> I could have been worse. <laughs> I uh, I was at home watching it, but. You know, I got a couple of friends. Um, unfortunately, not many other people in my family are Ravens fans. <laughs> but I got a couple of friends and buddies, and we're like in a text chat, so we're going back and forth. And there was there was some nervousness at the end of that first half. Um, and I heard similar comments. I saw similar comments in our little chat, like, "Oh, here we go again. Here we go again." I'm like, "Guys, this is another thirty minutes left." I mean, you know. Right. And I I kind of expected some, you know quote unquote rust or whatever you want to call it. just when you haven't played in a while and for some guys it wasn't just the Steelers it wasn't just that bye week some guys it's been two weeks maybe more for maybe like Hamilton maybe 49ers game was it last yeah I think I think that might have been his last game yeah, I think like he that. played against the Dolphins yeah yeah but you know so when that happens I'm always kind of expecting a little bit of time to kind of get synced up kind of get back into your rhythm, like game rhythm, like practice is one thing, but like a game rhythm. Uh, so did I go into it thinking they were going to, you know, kind of look the way they looked? Not, no, I'm not going to say that, but I wasn't like totally shocked that it took them a little while to get going on offense. Anyway, defense, they were <laughs> right out of the, right out of the gate. Lights, lights out. And Hamilton, one of the players I didn't think sh- showed any rust at all. He was no. in there uh, playing downhill, taking the game horizontally away on the strong side of the field in a way that no other player does. And uh, just been very excited about that this year. Uh, I, I think, you know, the rust versus rest narrative is certainly one of the most tiresome we heard. Does this game put that to rest for you? It does for me. I mean, I never bought into it anyway, but uh, (laughs) I guess in terms of the narrative, yeah, if somebody says, you know, look, what do you think? Yeah, come on. I mean, to me, it's one of those things in life where it's like, well, 
it is until it isn't. You know what I mean? As long as it, when it's not working and you've you've taken the rest approach and then you come out and you don't win the game, then it's of course it's it's outcome driven. People are gonna say, Well, look, right. it clearly was the fact that they rested. But then when you do it and you win, then what? Right? Is okay. So that's why I've never bought it. I guess I was wrong about the rust thing, except that's yeah. not somebody ever anybody has ever said on Twitter is, well, I guess I was wrong. <laughs> no, it doesn't work the other way. It only works when they play poorly, <laughs> when they play well. There's like, well, it was this other thing or that other thing. So, like, that's why I've never bought into it because it's too outcome driven. And, you know, you're making those decisions in in moments based on the, deci- the, the information you have at that time, right? And what you think is going to be best for the team going forward. The outcome is going to be whatever it's going to be. So that's why I've never like bought into that. Okay. I really never have either. Obviously, 2019, and it's not just 2019. I mean, 2006, uh, you know, weighs heavily still upon this franchise. By the way, if you think this will exercise forever the ghosts of 2019, you're sorely mistaken. I mean, those will still be around. The, the fan base will remember that for. As long as those fans who are alive who can remember that game are still around, yeah, that that long. So maybe fifty years, uh, twenty sixty nine. Maybe people start stop bringing up the twenty nineteen game and twenty fifty six for the two thousand six game. But it, it'll it'll take most of those people's lifetime to get over just how they felt at that time um, when, when they saw those games. But I think you know the notion of uh, should you should you fear the number one seed? I think that is no, hopefully gone. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely not. That is complete rubbish. Uh, yes. If you can get the number one seed, by all means, you want the number one seed. And, you know, the chips fall where they may at that point. But I don't think I heard some of that. And I was like, this is crazy talk. What do you mean you don't want the number one seed? <laughs> it doesn't make any sense to me. I get it how well they were playing um, before they got to the Steelers game. And, you know, they were arresting some guys because game didn't didn't mean anything for them. Um, I get that. But. I'm just like, nah, if if it's an opportunity to get that number one seed, you got to take it. Yeah, it's uh, it's enormously valuable. By the way, we're recording this at 9 p.m. now, and I've got my recording stopped. And hopefully, Michael is not going to give me any spoilers if he happens to be watching the game on his end about the Kansas City Buffalo game, which is still going on. But uh, you know, the the number two seed is actually a big diff- big step up from the number three seed, but it's still a huge step down. From the number one seed, as we saw it from that first game in Buffalo, the 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 beating they took from Pittsburgh uh, with Benford, Russell Douglas was already out to start the game. The linebacker they lost, who was Bernard, right? Grill Bernard, yep. Yeah, uh, I mean they they took a beating physically in that game, and they came less prepared to face Kansas City this week. And you know what? Another thing, I haven't heard the complete outcome on Ravens injuries from this game, but the only one I'm aware of leaving the game that I even noticed was uh uh edwards at the end yeah because when darby went out he came back oh he came right right back yeah 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 so two plays he was out so that's yeah same okay so very very nice uh i think the ravens in in that way with in terms of the injuries are playing with house money at this point which is really great it's uh uh very very lucky to be this healthy at this point it all starts obviously with number eight but uh, but the rest of the team is also quite healthy at this point, incredibly. And Michael, we haven't really talked about this all season, but obviously cornerback was one of the positions of tremendous fear to start this season. And now we see where the Ravens are. Did you have any sense that they might be in as good a position as they are? 
No way. <laughs> no way. I mean, I talked about it with Denard on the show we do, mm-hmm. the Fire Zone show, the defensive show. And, you know, because of the style of their defense under Mike McDonald, mm-hmm. he would tell me that, look, I think you can be okay with, yeah. you know, sort of, I don't want to say lesser corners, but, you know, it, they don't have to be locked down man coverage guys. Right. You know what I mean, and you can still be effective on defense. So he sort of felt like they'd be okay. Um, he's a big Brandon Stevens fan, but even he, if he's being like completely honest, would be like, no, there's no way I saw him taking the step that he took this year. Right. So no, I, I didn't, I thought, okay, you know, they're more zone based in a lot of ways. Um, and so you don't necessarily have to have that real high level athletic, you know, sticky man coverage, uh, skill set, but I still was, was leery. Like I needed to see it, <laughs> you know? I mean, they have such a frightening group of safeties they can put on the field. And does it, I, I don't really think, I mean, Stone's got seven interceptions. He plays that great loose bracket, always looking for the overthrow. He's a predator. Um, not a great tackler, but he's a predator. Yeah. And, and Williams also, he's, he's had a very difficult year in terms of the injuries, obviously. But you look at how productive he was on a per-snap basis last year, and you look at really even how he's been able to get to some footballs in recent weeks. Yeah. And I think he's starting to come back the player it still puts a puts a dark cloud over the the back end of that secondary that i think quarterbacks are leery to throw against yeah you you know as he started to get more healthy like once he came back and you know you <laughs> i kept joking i kept calling him the uh the winter soldier uh from like the marvel movies because he's bucky with the one arm and, <laughs> and so you could see that he was getting to some plays like you said that when fully healthy those are maybe interceptions and not just pbus um but he seems to be getting, you know, you know, more and more healthy each week and trending in that direction where as these games get even more important, now maybe you get the best of Marcus Williams or the best that you're going to get from of this year of Marcus Williams. Yeah, and that's I, I huge. Think be. Yeah, that's I huge agree. when you've already got like you, you name two other guys in safety position who are playing at a high level, super high level um, that that could be really huge. Yeah, you, I, you know, one of the things, and I'm really kind of bothered by this, is the Ravens only fielded three safeties again this week. Now, they had call-ups, and they decided it was too important to get uh, Chizina yeah, on the roster. Yeah. <laughs> um, as, you know, or Chizina, I, I actually, I'm, I'm not 100% sure. But anyway, they, they, they brought him up, which was really just a, a strange situation. Instead of bringing Adams up for another week, and Adams is a guy at least who can give you that fourth safety take off. I mean, look, one one problem is if you lose Stoner Williams ever, and they've both had injury problems at times, but if you lose Stoner Williams at, at all, Hamilton has to move to the back end. So it takes big nickel away from you. I'm much more comfortable having Adams back there, even if there's a significant drop off in play or Worley from early in the year, who was perfectly adequate there. Yeah. You know, it, it was very solid. Um, if, if it allows you to, to have Hamilton up in that big nickel, because that completely changes the nature of your defense when he's out there. Yeah. He's <laughs> like, I keep going back to the NAR. Now we talked about, he's an eraser. Mm-hmm. He erases things, right? Whether it's him actually making tackles, whether it's him, uh, getting his hands on balls. Sometimes it's just denying certain concepts that, you know, teams that want to play horizontally, want to play laterally, just erases it. It's gone. It's out of the game. <laughs> you can't do it. 
And they they kept trying it. It's, it's the funny stuff. I mean, Cincinnati and all the other teams that have that have played the Ravens this year. Basically, they they're like they have to see it for themselves or something. And when Hamilton's been in that nickel role, uh, you know, he's just he's been an astoundingly um, successful player. I've I've you know originally I really thought it might be true that Hamilton would be more valuable on the back end, but I didn't know. I really didn't know before the season. I remember we talked about it, and and we were even kind of coming to the idea that maybe the nickel role is where he's going to going to provide the most value. But the only thing I, I I said about this during the year was that I didn't want the difference between say Stone and Ardarius Washington in terms of who might give you more value on the field to make the decision up for where Hamilton plays. And I think McDonald has not allowed that to happen this year. I think it's to his credit, he's played in both places as he's seen fit. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I wasn't sure either, but you know, last season, once you got to see him in that role more often, you know, early in the season, they were kind of still trying to figure out where they wanted to play him, but then he kind of settled into that nickel spot as the year went on. And once you saw it, you couldn't unsee it. You were like, you know what? He's so good at this. Uh, and that doesn't mean they'll never, you know, put him on the back end. Of course, we've seen that. But he's mm-hmm. so good in that role that you're like, I want him there as much as possible. Right. And, you know, they might have been trending that way anyway, despite the stuff that they said, you know, in the offseason about him maybe playing back more or whatever. But when Gino plays the way he plays, now you feel even more confident mm-hmm. uh, to to have him in that nickel role even more often. It's just he's such a unique player for that role right you you think about nickels and you think about slot guys and it started to evolve obviously over the last couple mm-hmm. of years but for so long they're the smaller guys right the third corner kind of quick twitchy that kind of thing but this is different this is a whole different deal out there <laughs> with his size with his link with his athleticism with his uh football intelligence which is ridiculous yeah um it's just a whole different deal. And I didn't know how it would work, honestly. I really didn't know how it would work because I was like, at some point, there's going to be something, uh, a matchup where it's not advantageous, right? Because we just haven't found it yet, really. Or or, or maybe we have, and we've, we've occasionally seen a slot receiver go off for a few catches. But when you compare that to all of the other benefits you get from having Hamilton in that position, you know, and, you know, the really quick, twitchy slot receivers, or, I mean, if, if you ever run into Zay, the Zay Flowers somewhere yeah. else in the rest of the league, you can't cover him anyway. It doesn't matter who you put on him. You know, they're, yeah, they're you too know. twitchy for anybody. Yeah. So you just take away what you can and, and, uh, and do the best. But anyway, been... I, it's it's been so much fun. He's it, the the new jersey I bought recently was a Kyle Hamilton jersey. I went all the way to the top of the line and and uh, and real happy to be wearing it out there for uh, for Saturday's game. Good investment. <laughs> Three more years at least, right? So hopefully longer than that. I, I and I, you know it's I'm already at the point where I I could maybe see them giving up on Matabike and allowing him to walk, even though I really don't want it to happen. Now they won't allow him to walk in free agency straight, but they might. What they might do is they might tag him and then trade him. Hmm. But there's no way they'd allow him to walk in free agency because that's just that's basically a, a destroying value to, yeah. to 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 make that move. But if they if they with Hamilton, I can't see any way in hell they let him walk already, and he's he's just finished year two. Yeah, no, no, he's. You you think about like cornerstone players on their team, and there's different ways that you can define it. But if you're just you know, just the, the eye test, right? And you start thinking about names. If we're and if we're just talking about defense, you think about Roquan, you think about Kyle Hamilton. Mm-hmm. There's just like the first two names that immediately yep. pop into your mind. And it's not that there couldn't be an argument made for another guy or two, but like though it's like no brainer. You don't even hesitate. Mm-hmm. And so you're like, yeah, that guy 
is in year two. So he's got to be here. <laughs> you know what I mean? Because he's already established himself as one of the best players at his position in the league. So yeah, he's he's not going anywhere. They're just talking about in the in the Kansas City Buffalo game of the two best slot corners in the game. And McDuffie, I know a guy both of us liked maybe for slightly different reasons mm-hmm. when he came out in the draft. I love McDuffie because uh, he he was unbelievably at the top of his class from a uh, yards per target and all the other bases. So his effectiveness on the field was not maybe fully measured by how his athleticism showed out. Yeah. Um, but but uh, I, I know DaCosta was really down on McDuffie. He was berating somebody after the draft. Uh, mm. for, for uh, liking McDuffie over the other, or, you know, as much as the other corners in the back or, or, or asking him about, could he have been somebody you'd have picked at? I don't remember where the Ravens were drafting that year, but uh, uh, yeah, I guess it, it was it McDuffie is a second year player also, and also all yeah. pro. Is that correct? Mm-hmm. Okay. So it would have been at, at 14 would have been the place. And they're not going to pick him over Hamilton. I get that, but why they wouldn't have wanted to maybe trade down and get a McDuffie would have been, a, or, 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 or they could have, could have had McDuffie at 20, Five too, couldn't they have? Or did he get drafted uh, before then by the Chiefs? That's a good question. I don't remember where he went. I was first round, but I don't know where. But if he went to the Chiefs, it's probably late first, right? Yeah. So Yeah. So it probably was after twenty five, probably. I'm taking a look because okay. I just yeah. have to know. I wonder if it was a size thing, you know, because yeah. first round corners for them. Not not that they're, you know, adverse to taking corners who aren't, you know, you know bigger guys because obviously they've done it but it's like a middle to later round kind of move for them first round guys i think they prefer guys with a little bit more size but yeah i was a big fan i was a big fan of him i just thought that you know he again kind of like kyle hamilton in this way we're talking about the guys um really good football intelligence i thought you could just see it on tape when you watched him he had a really good understanding of different kinds of zone concepts, different, you know, how routes distribute it, kind of how to position mm-hmm. himself and take away. Just He had a real good sense for that. So I was like, you know, that to me, that's always pretty valuable because I think you can mitigate maybe some athletic concerns yeah. when you can process things that quickly. Because it, you can it's, just position yourself there before the play comes. <laughs> you know? Is there is there anything more portable as a skill set than instincts and understanding of concepts? I mean, instincts might even be above it, but but understanding of concepts is so translatable from defense to defense yeah. that you know you're you're going to bring that with you from the college to pro game. I would think, no matter what. Yeah, that's what Chris Hewitt said about Kyle Hamilton, right? He's like, I didn't teach him. <laughs> He's like, he came here with that football intelligence. I, I can't take credit for that. All right, let's keep rolling here. So we got the Ravens have have uh, an unbelievable year that I, I I want people kind of take a step back and really appreciate the fine piece of art we're looking at here right now as it's going on on the field week after week. But this this is now the sixth win they've had this year in six tries, six for six of playing a game that's three team three games over five hundred and winning by two touchdowns. It has never happened before in the history of the National Football League, and that history is a long history indeed. And there have been some shorter seasons, admittedly, that have mitigated it. And there, I don't know if there might be other circumstances that might make it more likely to face three teams that are three games over 500 in a 17-game season. It's, it's conceivable. Winning records, I know there's more of in a 17-game season that you face, and they've set the all-time record this year for that. But – you're seeing a team out there that is one of the greatest of all time, and they will cement their legacy with two more wins. Uh, it's, it's not going to be easy. They're going to have one tough game next week. We, I, 
Michael and I don't know who that is yet, but but uh, you do by now, you <laughs> folks who are listening to. <laughs> and that'll be tough game number one, and then they'll they'll have to play either Detroit or San Francisco in that final game, which will be another tough game. Um, but it's a uh, uh, if if they can if they can get it done, they're one of the greatest teams of all time right now. Yeah, and I I try not to be uh, hyperbolic about stuff like this because you know perspective. Uh, depending on how long you've watched the game and you know kind of how far back you go, you can make these cases. But I, you you got to call them dominant. It's a dominant performance. It's a dominant unit mm-hmm. uh, in terms of the you know the way that they've played this season. And like you said, in in the the toughest matchups, right? The the, mm-hmm. the best offenses. Um, it's not even been close. <laughs> you know, they had the Rams game, right? And that was coming off their bye. Right. But that was it. That really yeah. was it. So I'm like, you, you're right. You really do have to appreciate what you're seeing. Obviously, teams are never the same from year in to year out. This team is going to change no matter what happens, right? No matter how far they go from here on out or whatever. It's not going to be the same team next year. So you, including probably coaching staff changes. But you got to really appreciate what you're seeing because it is special. This is a, and we've seen special defense in Baltimore. And this, this is another special group. Yeah, I, I'm not even just talking about the defense. I'm talking about the 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 whole team is one yeah. of the greatest ever. In terms of Devoa, they all three categories they're up at, they're near the top and um, of, of the league. And then and then when you put it together, they're they're you know the fifth greatest team since 1980 or so. Um, and and uh, you know after that game, their standing did not drop from that first playoff game. I'll just put it that way. It was another extraordinarily dominant win. Yeah. Uh. I don't know if you've been thinking about going to the games or not uh, in, in these last couple, but it, the cold turn you off for that at all? <laughs> it's a thought, but no, if, if I had decided like, Hey, I want to go, then, you know, I'm going to go. But um, I was wondering about that because I know you're out there and you're watching it on TV. And sometimes you can't get a real good sense from TV just because of the camera shots. So you can't, you know, what, what was it really like there? But the one thing that you could tell, at least I thought was whatever the amount of people, whatever that number was, it was super loud, and you yeah. saw the effect that that had on the Texans' offense with all those pre-snap penalties. So I'm like, man, well, however many people are in there, that place is rocking. Yeah, that's a great point. The Ravens have been playing that up all year, and one of the things uh, they they put out on a, uh, a graphic this week was that the Ravens have now had 19 opponent false starts and five opponent delay of games at home this year, which it leads the NFL in both categories. That is not an insignificant feat, and I, and I am really happy. We just had a just had a pod last week uh, from a guy who's just a little bit mildly nutty, but also in a very um, uh, polite way <laughs> about what's the best way to make crowd noise. Yeah. And he I brought all these pointers in and whatnot. It was, it was very very analytic from his, from his sense, <laughs> but, but but also kind of a little crazy. Uh, and what I I feel bad about this because I added one that makes me seem like the craziest thing which is oh. which is if you're there okay one of the things that defense is not allowed to do is change the pitch uh or actually uh do anything that will mimic offensive signals at the line of scrimmage if you mm-hmm. do it's a delay of game penalty and and uh uh you know what i what i've always hypothesized is that you, you be as loud as you can start with when you're in the huddle go to the line of scrimmage and then bark and, and basically make changes in pitches at the yeah. quarterback that imitate a snap count. And, you know, they're probably going silent anyway, so they're maybe not paying attention to that. Yeah. Uh, but you know, players hear things. By the way, I don't know if you noticed this. Somebody blew a whistle 
during that game at an inappropriate time with the Ravens at the line of scrimmage, every player on the field, every player on offense looked back to see what had happened. Mm-hmm. It was no whistle. It was it came from the stands, came from somewhere else because because they they you know told them to play on or whatever, and they got you know got reset and and uh, and went off. Okay, yeah, no, I didn't notice that, but yeah, whistles for sure. We we've seen that in in other yeah. games how you know that can clearly be distracting. But uh, yeah, I don't know. Maybe they were using some of the techniques there yesterday. Maybe people listened to your pod and they showed up and they were doing <laughs> some of the stuff that you guys talked about because it definitely had an impact. There's no question about it. It, it's, it was hard for us to tell how loud it was because yesterday we had a ton of headgear on. Yeah. So, you know, you're wearing a balaclava and a – I always want to call it a baklava, but it's not. It's a balaclava. And, and a uh, – uh, thinking about the dessert. <laughs> that's, that's right. That's, that's me. Always thinking about dessert. Uh, anyway, uh, great for the Ravens to get by in the cold here. Uh, really nice to see the Ravens run defense show up they didn't really have to upsize their packages we'll get to that a little later allowed 2.7 yards per carry one first down on the ground the whole game yeah yeah those guys up front uh that's definitely something that i noticed on uh re-watching the game and i won't go into it here because i know we'll, we'll go down the line and talk about individual people but a lot of guys uh showed up and made contributions and uh it was really good to see because that's kind of been the soft spot if there's been a soft spot on this defense that's kind of been what it is and to me it still really hasn't bothered me that much because i'm like it's sort of a trade-off yes you know what i mean for for what you're doing in coverage and what you're doing in terms of pressures and stuff like that um and it's just kind of the way the game you have to kind of play the game on defense right now so i've been okay with it but i i think it's just because we've been so used to dominant run defenses here it's it's sort of startling when you see it you're like whoa wait wait a minute this is they're not supposed to be giving up this kind of run yardage (laughs) Yeah, exactly. It's exactly it. I think I heard some of the Kansas City Chiefs were giving up close to five yards per run this year. Mm. But on the other hand, they're they're playing some of the best defense they ever have. They haven't allowed thirty yep. points in a game, and they're 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 doing good against the pass. They've got a lot of sacks. Um, the, the Ravens, it's it's a feature, not a bug. I mean, they've designed the thing to be this way. It's a brilliant choice by McDonald, and I think he's the kind of kind of defensive coach who can immediately sell that even to an organization that is highly entrenched in the philosophy of stopping the run consistently. And the, and the Ravens, for their first 20 years, they never allowed 4.0 yards per carry in a season, yeah. uh, which is just an incredible run. But, uh, uh, you know, they, what, they've, what they've done more recently has been um, even more rare in, in some ways. The, the, the number this year for um, yards per pass play is probably the most impressive in team history, even though it's a little bit – did not quite match – the 1999 team, who was uh, about a tenth of a yard better, but maybe 0.08 yards better per play. Yeah, if you can get the head man to buy into it, if you can get Harbaugh to buy into it, because you know he believes in, in stopping the run with his soul, with every fiber of his being. <laughs> so if you can get him to buy into it, uh, then, you know, proof's in the pudding. They've gotten Harbaugh to buy into a lot of things over the years, including much big differences in how he looks at analytics over the years. So, yeah. I, you know, they've, he's... He's much more adaptable yeah. than than people give him credit for. He's also much more football savvy than people give him credit for. I mean, acting like the guy's a special teams coach is a tremendous back of the hand slap to the guy. I, I can I he he basically won't tell you anything about the Ravens' offense or defense. Partly, probably because he feels like it's the right thing for the coordinator to talk about, other than at a very general level. But the other thing he'll do, he will do, is ask him what the other team is doing. 
And he'll, he'll, he'll give you these 19 concepts they're using. He'll talk right through it. I mean, he's, he's a great football mind. He really understands the game very well. Um, and he's, he's not just a special teams coach by any stretch. No, just think about the coaches he's been around his entire life. Think about all these people he's been around, right? You can go back to Michigan, Bo Schlimp, uh, Bo Schlimbeckler. I know he's a kid, but, you know, as he gets older, he's still around the program and stuff. Mm-hmm. He's been around those kids. He's talked about uh, learning defense from Jim Johnson and Philly from all those years. He talked about Sid Gilman, of all people, who came in and did some kind of There's consulting role. Yeah, so, I mean, when you've been exposed to that much football from, you know, great coaches like that, there's no way you convince me that this guy's, oh, he does his special teams now. There's no way. I'm not buying that. Okay. So I already know that Harbaugh is one year older than me. So he's 61 years old right now or, or, or right around there. I've got to know. So Sid Gilman was born in 1911. So he'd be 122 if he were alive today. So Sid Gilman was 60-something when Harbaugh was born, 61 roughly. I wonder when, what age might Sid Gilman have been at Michigan, maybe when they, when, when Harbaugh was. I I, I when he know. told the story, I don't remember if it was Michigan or Cincinnati. I think he said it might have huh. been Cincinnati or Miami right. or where, wherever. He, yeah, he coached at Cincinnati, right? I'm pretty sure okay. he coached at Cincinnati. See, he played at Miami of Ohio. Is that right? Played, yeah, played at Miami, Ohio. And I think he coached at Cincinnati because he was on that staff. Wink was on that staff. There's like a couple different guys who were, uh, Chris Hewitt, I think, played for him. Uh, at Cincinnati. So there was like a bunch of connections there. So don't quote me on that if, if that's where he said he did it. But it was during one of his pressers. I don't know if it was this year. It might have been last year um, where he told that story. All right. We're already falling behind here. And I thought we're going to push this on to the next topic. They, they won the snap count 67 to 47. Had a, had a recent podcast with Aaron Schatz. Guys, if you haven't listened to this, go back and listen to it. It's about the 2023 Ravens and where they rank historically in DeVoe. It'll make you feel good about the team uh, regardless. So it's, it's, a, it's a great listen from that perspective. But um, one thing I, I, I said is that I thought Lamar helps all 22 players because he keeps the Ravens on the field for more plays. And he said, no, they've really looked at that. I know they have. Okay. And I didn't want to, you know, get into this rabbit hole with him and yeah. in, in, in particular, but I think that the fact that they've studied this and they found, no, it really doesn't make any difference whether you play more steps or less in terms of the freshness of your defense, I think it is complete bull. It just breaks every rule of logical thought. And so what, what usually is the case there is there are conflicting consequences that are all the, 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 the source of some other root factor that you get tied up in and you lose track of what's re- what A is really causing B and what B is really co- correlated with C kind of thing. Yeah. And it's it's a, I, I give you the best example I can. We had in, worked in the insurance business of course, many years of pricing actually. We worked for one of our markets with a highly underserved market um, that actually had a lot of poorer people who didn't have access to quality healthcare. And one of the things we found is when we tried to underwrite these people, that the people who actually answered all the questions on the on the application and they had some health concerns about, you know, my sugar levels are not what I want and, you know, I might have a high A1C or this or that. Th- those people, um, when we looked at the, the mortality for those groups, were actually healthier than the rest of the population of our group. And the reason is they were engaged with their health care. They actually went to a doctor. 
that's a hell of a lot better. Being being slightly sick and going to a doctor regularly is a lot better than not going to a doctor at all and waiting to find out later was what we yeah. what we found was the thing. And I think it's something like that with the play counts is is what we're finding. Yeah, that probably makes sense. I mean, look, you certainly are going to be more familiar with um, any kind of studies or research that's been done. But for me, I mean, we're just talking about human beings. So it's just hard right. for me to think that, you know, it, the longer they and the longer and the more they exert themselves, that that's not going to take some yeah, sort of toll on whether it's mental, physical combination. I, you know, I, it's just hard for me to think. And again, I don't ever want to be one of those because, I, you know, it, you're trying to have a conversation. So I don't want to be these people. Well, I played and you don't know what it's like if you haven't played. I would never be like that. But I know I got tired. <laughs> I will tell you that it's I definitely a, got tired. It's and also that's like I'm, in high school. I'm playing super low level. I certainly got tired. This this is a rust versus rest um, number, and I think one of the first things is go ask some pass rushers. Ask some people who have to play high leverage snaps late in a game. Potentially, um, you know, is it easier to play fifty snaps or seventy on defense? Yeah. And you know, you'll get the answer you expect to get. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. All right, minimal impact for Stroud. In this game, I thought that was one of the really nice stories. He was not sacked. He did not have a turnover. And, you know, that's something he's been, I guess he's been good in both categories, right? He hasn't been sacked a lot either this year, has he? I think I looked it up before we got on. I want to say, and, and, you know, it all depends on which service you use. Uh, This was pro football reference. I think they had him for 38 sacks. It doesn't sound too terrible. The Browns game. I don't, I don't, I didn't stop it at the regular season. I probably should have, but. All right. Well, now I'll look it up while we're while we're talking over this um, uh, thing. But even so, I mean, no interceptions. That's right in line. He had five the whole year. Obviously, that was one of the things that the Texans were were counting on. But I think that's you know, if you listen to people who are covering this game from the from the Texans side, one of the things they would typically say is, if Stroud doesn't turn the ball over, we're going to be fine. Mm-hmm. You know, if if Stroud doesn't get sacked, we're going to be fine. Um, you know, if the Ravens' pass rush doesn't take over the game, we're going to be. And, if, and uh, in truth. Ravens pass rush kind of did have a huge impact on this game, despite (laughs) no sacks, no turnovers. Yeah, they absolutely did. Now, credit to CJ for sort of maneuvering, buying time in the pocket, evading, that kind of thing, and getting the ball out. Not always to a receiver. Sometimes, you know, inaccurately, sometimes throw. I mean, I didn't write it down, but I just tangentially, I think I saw like at least three or four just throwaways. Oh, yeah. Out of bounds. So he got the ball out. And that's what I would attribute some of the fact that they weren't able to to get home and actually finish with a sack. And we know how that goes. We've seen games where it's like, you know, it just snowballs, right? You get one and then two and then three and then four. And you have other games where guys are getting, um, you know, good pressure, you know, putting together good rushes, beating their their guy. But the quarterback's getting the ball out of his hands or you just slide off of him or he gets out and, it, you know, it happens. And I kind of felt like that was a game yesterday because when I rewatched it today, I'm like, look. They're really affecting him. I mean, he's having to move. He's having to get the ball out before he wants to. Mm-hmm. He's not, you know, able to to throw as accurately as he wants to at times. So, I thought they definitely had an impact, even without having the um, the sack or the turnover number. One of the things that I kept noticing was that he was leaving the pocket of his own volition. I was having some difficulty assigning pressures or not, based on the fact that he was rolling right or even rolling left, but mostly rolling right prior to the pocket dissolving on him all the way which by the way if you're going to get out of the pocket i mean if you usually a chance to get out of the pocket at all is better if you leave a little early rather than a little late yeah. but he's uh, uh he, when he left 
the pursuit after that was just terrific. They, they it kept up that. And, and you know, I, I don't hand out pressures for that. I don't hand out a, a pressure for anything after three seconds. But the follow-up, the, the continuation pressures that were necessary to get those throws out of bounds you're talking about, and there were a number of them. Um, and, and there were some others that were just overthrown because or, or grounded. One was grounded at the guys at, at a receiver's feet. I mean, they were a function of, you know, he's not ready to have an open target yet and you need continuous pressure to do there or he will sit there for longer and find yeah. a throw. Yeah. And I think maybe you see it have less of a cumulative effect on a more experienced guy. Even with them, I think it can still happen, but you probably see it less. But with a younger guy, I think it can. I think that can have a cumulative effect on them. You're getting to them. You're making them uncomfortable. They're having to move. They're having to speed up their process. Even a guy who's been playing as well as he's been playing, it adds up over the course of the game. And now everything starts happening faster. Like you said, you start moving before you really need to move. Um, and that's something that's hard to account for because there isn't necessarily, a, a, like you said, a sack or you know a quarterback hit sometimes to say, okay, well, here's why he made that decision or here's why the play resulted the way that it did. Sometimes it's just hey, he moved, he got the ball out, it was incomplete, he threw it out of bounds, whatever. And you're like, well, the pass rush didn't really have an effect. No, they they did because now it's in his head. And he's like, okay, I got to go faster. I got to do everything faster. We're going to get to some stats on ball out quick that would really indicate that Michael's Michael's got the right idea here entirely. So we'll go get, get to that a little bit later. Uh, only 10 first downs the whole game for the Texans. Zero trips to the red zone. By the way, if you, if you want to keep the red zone number at the best it can be, keep their percentage undefined. That means they have zero attempts. Yeah. <laughs> and, and so uh, uh, it's that, that's just great. Zero, zero for zero, that's, that's probably the single best red zone possible answer you can have. They obviously scored on the punt return, but the fact that they never got inside the 20-yard line otherwise, that's a hell of a defensive effort. Super impressive, especially when you think about what they did the week before. <laughs> you know, now granted they're they're at their place, they're in the dome. I get all of that, but um, they've been playing well recently. Even going back to the Colts game, that was a little bit lower scoring for them, but you know they were still able to move the ball, um, and they just really struggled to do that. I mean, the Ravens took away the run game, as you already talked about. It's erased it, and so then it's all on him, right? He has to shoulder the load completely for moving the offense. Him and you know his pass catchers. Don't get me wrong; I'm not excluding anybody, but it's a whole different ball game. Um, when you don't have that run game, in my opinion, you know, I'm partial to the run game. So <laughs> to me, it's a whole different deal when you don't have that sort of pressure release valve of the run game uh, to just even be able to take a play off. Like mentally, can I not have to process all of this stuff that's coming at me for a play? I can just turn around and hand it off and kind of regroup, recollect myself and move on. To you don't even get that when you have to carry so much of, of what he was carrying yesterday. Yeah, it was it, he he was. In shotgun, ready to throw, just about a whole lot of snaps there, obviously, in the second half. Um, except it wasn't that many total snaps that the Ravens right. allowed them to be on the field, so there was that. Uh, uh, what else we want to talk This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Talk about. Uh, we talked a little bit about Hamilton already. We talk about him a little bit later. Um, just Hamilton's remarkable taking away of half the field, taking away the strong side. It showed up early. It showed up often. Um, and it, it right now, those wide the, the the cornerbacks who are getting blocked on wide receiver screens. And I'm thinking particularly of one where Mollette really stood up a block from Hutchinson. I think it was right Xavier Hutchinson. Xavier yeah, number Hutchinson. nineteen. Yeah, he, he stood up a block from him very well uh, on a wide receiver screen. And I'm thinking he's got to have additional confidence in that working out because you trust the guy next to you more than you ever do if Kyle Hamilton is also on that strong side of the field with you to bring them down. Sure enough, Hamilton gets over. He starts to make the tackle. Mollett gets off his guy, assists on it at that point. Um, it just the, the team defense that Hamilton allows you to play by being the kind of block shedder he is is, is really remarkable. Yeah, I think Chris Hewitt talked about that, too. He just It's contagious. You know, when you've got DBs who are really showing up in the run game or showing up in the you know perimeter passing game, quick screen game, are like just destroying blocks. You can't be in the room watching film and see him do it. And then you see a clip of yourself and you're kind of pitter pattering up there. It's not going <laughs> to work. It's not going to work. OK, so it, it kind of brings the level of everybody else up in the room without the coach having to say anything. Yep. You just turn That's- on the tape and they're like, you see what Kyle's doing? We, we've been saying the same thing kind of about Roquan all year. Yeah. And and I, I love this about him is that his on-field football awareness level forces everybody. It creates an expectation level for other people. So this is, you know, if you think about a, you know, a level one play is you don't score when you're, when you're told not to in the huddle, you, you kneel down and you, and, and maybe there's a level two play that's above that where a wide receiver actually in the open field knows to go down instead of go in the end zone. The wide receivers never seem to know that. Yeah. You you got to show me the first wide receiver who ever does that correctly. Right. Um, I, I, it's probably happened in 50 years of watching football. It's probably happened. I can't remember it. Okay. Mm-hmm. And and I do remember games being lost because of receivers going into the end zone stupidly and early. Uh, specifically the Chicago game a couple of years ago that, that the Ravens were gifted based on yeah. Mooney's uh, uh, not going down. But but the, the Roquan thing was level three. This, this you know, n- allowing somebody to get up so that you knew there was enough time left that they couldn't get another playoff before the two-minute warning. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's just, it's, it's way, it's bogglingly sophisticated in terms of awareness. Titans game, right? Was it? Was it was it was it in London? I, I'm pretty sure that I, was you might be game. you might be right. I I yeah. you know I I watch all the games you know when I'm analyzing them on the DVR, so I'm not as sure you know yeah. where where this occurred. But uh, but you might you might very well be right. But uh, um, yeah, it's uh, it, it was just crazy awareness is uh, is what it was. Yeah, and so you've got him on the second level. You've got Kyle second slash third level <laughs> right at the defense and. You know, people shouldn't sleep on some of the guys on the first level. Guys like Van Noy, guys like mm-hmm. Clowney, um, oh, guys yeah. like Urban and Pierce. Don't yeah. don't sleep on them. They're very savvy in terms of what they do and their understanding of how to do their job and set other people up for success as well. So they've got it on all levels on that defense. 
Urban is a guy who's that's been his whole career. But but yeah. Pierce as well as a nose tackle, nose, deny space, get into the backfield with some penetration as well, compress the pocket. You set people up for pressures. You set people up in the run game. You bifurcate the field so running backs have to make choices. All of those things that come with him just getting two yards into the backfield, which is is no mean feat, but he's capable of on a certain number of plays. Yeah, well, we saw him do it uh, several times uh, in this game <laughs> yesterday. It's been awesome. All right, let's move on to talks of packages. I'll be real quick on this because there are only three packages the Ravens used in this game. They used five snaps of base defense. But the only comment I want to make about this, aside from it, was five snaps for three yards, four runs for three, and one one incomplete pass. The only the only comment I'd like to make about this is that the fact that they only had to go to the base defense five times is a really good indication of just how quickly the Texans gave up on the run game entirely and how comfortable the Ravens were playing big nickel against the Texans to, to try and stop the run. Yeah. I think once they realized that they were able to basically control their run game with just their front, they were like, Hey, we can stay. And so, now granted as the game went on, you're dropping back more. And so you're going to have, you know, that nickel and other packages, you know, more, more coverage um, related packages on the field because of the game situation. But early on, that was one of the first things that jumped out to me is like, look, they're literally stopping this run with their front six guys. Right. <laughs> so, or if it got to the perimeter, you know, maybe seventh guy, like whoever your, your nickel or overhang type player is safety coming down. But when you can do that, uh, you know, you're, you're, you're living good. You're living pretty good when those guys can do that just on their own without having to do um, sort of more creative stuff where you're doing like run blitzes and stuff like that. Like uh, not to say they didn't do any of that yesterday, but I, I don't think that they went to a ton of that um, just from when I, I rewatched uh, the game today. Well, it's it definitely what you're talking about, like stopping the run of the six is the Ravens formula for many years. That's, that's what got them to under 4.0 yards per carry for 20 straight years. You know, aside from just being good normally on on normal base defense downs, they were they were utterly fantastic at having at least one superstar in each of the three position groups. You need to make the six man box work. A, a great inside linebacker, and they often had two. A great edge setters, and they often had two. And and a and great down linemen, and they sometimes had two. Mm. Yeah, yeah. This is it was like the perfect storm of guys this year. Uh, your interior guys are all complementary. Everybody has a role and they all complement one another in terms of their skill set. Your edge guys, Clowney was perfect for mm-hmm. what they wanted to do on defense because one thing that I've kind of noticed over the last couple of years, this is specific to run defense. Obviously, he does, he, he rushes and he gets pressures and that kind of thing too. But you need that hammer in terms of these. I'm just talking edge players now. You kind of need that hammer opposite your other guy on the other side who might be a little bit more of the run and chase guy, Mm -hmm. right? He can kind of run things down from behind. Maybe he can slip box and that's how he gets into, you know, he penetrates that, but you need a hammer to, to compliment that guy on the other side. And Clowney is a hammer. (laughs) That is exactly what he is. So he just fit perfectly. I think for, for that role that they've, they've had it uh, throughout the years, even in oh, different yeah. defenses, even with different coordinators, they've had that guy and he's, Terrell he's that guy. Yeah. Yep. He's yeah. that guy for them. Yeah. It's, you, you, we get so spoiled here because, you know, we had the best run setting edge in a generation in Terrell Suggs. He had Jared Johnson who certifiably knew how to set the edge on the other side and was so versatile. He came up as a defensive tackle and played inside linebacker later in his career for when needed. 
Um, but we're, we're, we're so spoiled basically in those front six players and basically no one's ever supposed to be able to run on you. And now when, you know, when the league is more challenging in terms of having to commit more resources to pass defense, whatever that means, mm-hmm. um, you know, it may mean you, you, you're, you're dropping people to cover more. It may mean you're, you're not taking as many chances rushing five or six, uh, the extra man, whatever that might be. It might be you're, you're taking less, uh, deception opportunities because your guys who are dropping from the line of scrimmage say in a simulated pressure can't get back and be as advantaged in coverage as they would be normally so it, it, it cuts you off from elements um I, I, otherwise that you that you have to with today's you know passing games being as successful as they are but uh um, it's great to see the ravens work it out with a with a collection of players that um you know certainly has some stars and roquan i'm not i don't mean to you know put him down in any way. And, and certainly in, in Pierce, they have a very special run defender. I think Travis Jones is now looking like a pretty special run defender, but it's also a collection of talent that had to be, had to be molded into a group. And that's where I think McDonald has been so special. Absolutely. Couldn't have said it better. All right, let's move on. Uh, two types of nickel they played, and this is all they played. So they played five snaps of base, two types of nickel, 18 of the standard nickel with Mollette at slot corner. Mollette had a terrific game, and I'm sure we'll get into this later, so we'll let that ride at this point. Um, and 23 snaps of big nickel with Hamilton at slot corner. They were actually more effective in this game playing that uh, that standard nickel, and I'll mm-hmm. just give you some numbers here real quick. In the standard nickel, they were, oh, where is my number here? Oh, darn it. Oh, I don't have it in front of me. Um, well, anyway, uh, anything to say about either the standard nickel or the big nickel, Michael, while I look that up? I'm surprised to hear that they were more effective uh, in the standard in a way, in a way. I mean, I guess as I'm kind of not a big difference. Yeah. The, and, the, and as the wheels are turning in my head, once you get into more drop back mode, you know, as that second half carries on, okay, it, 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 that makes sense. That makes sense. Okay, so 4.3 yards on 18 plays in the standard nickel, 78 yards, and 23 plays for 133, 5.8 yards per play in the big nickel. Um, it was most of that difference was in the in the past plays because they didn't have very many runs in either, and they were very similarly unsuccessful in 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 both ways. So most of that difference is passing. Mullet um, and Hamilton, two of the best players on the field for the Ravens defensively in this game. I, I, I thought anyway, and, and yeah. uh, what the Ravens have gotten out of that slot position this year between all three of them, the versatility they bring, they bring, they brought some pass rush. We saw it, you know, from Hamilton tried to rush the passer a little bit. This game it wasn't as successful as Mallette. It was terrific. Uh, our Darius Washington gave us, I got six sacks out of the slot corner position this year. Yeah. That's crazy. When you think about what just what they've been able to do in the secondary. I mean, you can you can talk about different different parts of the of the whole group, but what they've been able to do in the secondary in terms of interchanging certain guys. We talked about corner already, outside corner. You think about what they're doing at nickel. Um, you know, safety when when Williams was injured, kind of had to shuffle some things there with Worley playing a little bit more. Um, and it's been it's been like seamless. Like it just it just hasn't had you know, any kind of significant like downgrade sort of effect with just these different guys coming in. And I, you know, Denard keeps telling me, he's like, look, when you simplify things in terms of your structure, that's what you can do. You can shuffle the deck and still not see like huge drop offs because everybody knows exactly what to do. Do you think this is one of the position groups where Harbaugh in future years, when asked about injury, we'll use it as an example to say, look, 
it's next man up. I'm not going to say all injuries are created equal, but look at the 2023 secondary oh, yeah. and how they were able to fit together. <laughs> yeah, it, it becomes the 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 encyclopedia example. Like you want to open it up and say, hey, yeah. definition of next man up. Here, here it is. Let's go look at this team. And I can show you how all these different guys had to come in and just, you know, took over and, and played. Again, I, I just can't say there's been like any huge drop off between the quote-unquote starter and some of these other guys who've had to come in. Like, Millette, look at Millette. I mean, it's crazy. Yeah. So, yeah, this this would be the example. And, you know, people are probably going to hear about it from him. You know, at least talking to his coaches, other people on his staff, personnel people. He's, he's going to, like, beat them upside the head with it for years ago. <laughs> and and I, I really do want Marlon Humphrey back for this next week. I, sure. I, I hope this is finally the week and maybe more for Mark Andrews as well. The backups to those guys have played some incredible football in Likely and and uh, Darby uh, Stevens. Obviously, if you want to say he's the replacement, doesn't really matter how you how you divide out that. Yeah. Humphrey would be playing somewhere there if if he were healthy, and and uh, whoever's taking his place is doing a hell of a job. Yeah, across the board, man. Running back. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> just running just back. think about Good it. One. Yeah, Justice Hill. Like I remember when that signing happened, people were like, "I don't know about this. Why would you?" give justice hill that kind of money and look at what he's done this year he's probably their best pass protecting running back oh yeah uh, yeah yeah and he's given i guess it depends on how you thought about it. i liked him coming out of oklahoma state but he's probably surprised people in terms of what he's done in the run game you know a little bit. everybody knew he was quick had some juice was fast but i don't know if, if i mean because he they're not afraid to hand him the ball off inside and run power, run inside zone, run duo. He'll get you some tough yards for a guy who's not Gus Edwards. You know, he's not 240 pounds, but he'll get, he'll stick it up in there and get you some tough yards too. Yeah. He's, he's, he's been great in so many ways. I'm going to say one of the big things they've gotten from Hill is the ability to use flowers down the field uh, without having to keep him in for gadgetry. If you look back to flowers usage, the whole year changed dramatically through the year. He, I mean, he was a, he was a guy that were running tons of wide receiver screens early in the year. A lot of, a lot of a dot behind the line of scrimmage um, uh, and a lot of uh, jet sweeps, which I don't, I don't remember the last jet sweep it might be the chargers game still where he ran for the game winning touchdown for flowers. It's a good question. I'm, I'm trying to remember the last jet sweep they ran with him, but there might've been one sense, but in any case, I, I love that. And I, I was kind of hoping We'd see Duvernay used on offense again this last week, but it could also be they're saving him yeah. uh, for a week and get him back out there because he's another he's another piece of the puzzle. But the, the Keaton Mitchell injury certainly at the time seemed like a complete backbreaker, mm-hmm. given what he'd done. Um, the best ever season in in DVOA terms um, that they've ever measured uh, for forty plus carries. It's crazy, and it's another. It's just another another indication of this whole depth next man up thing. Because yeah. is is historic as that is, the offense really hasn't missed a beat <laughs> since he since he's gone down with injury. So it's it's just amazing. Like time after time, each each you know you think about each one of these different position groups we've talked about. You're like, man, I, at some point you're like, oh, well, maybe maybe when we talk about this group, we'll see a little bit of a decline. No, it just it just really has not happened in any kind of significant way. Let's move on and talk about a little bit about the pass rush here. We're almost on schedule here, Michael. This is a nice. remarkable for us. I'll just I'll just tell you this for starters. Uh, we talked about. We'll we'll have a delay of game here. Is that what you said? I brought my my A game. I brought my A game. game. Okay. Okay. (laughs) Sounded like delay of game. (laughs) (laughs) I'll start making some weird noises over here. (laughs) 
<laughs> All right. Uh, solid amount of pressure. We talked a little bit about this. Here's here's the first thing I want to bring up is something about the impact on Stroud that relates to what you said earlier, okay, is that Stroud is being impacted about it, maybe in his mind, even before, and maybe not in his mind, maybe it's the Ravens reacting to what Stroud is doing and kind of knowing what's coming ahead of time. Ample time space, ball lock, quick and pressure. The separation this game. Ample time space, six times the whole game, 18%. First of all, terrific job by the Ravens defense to hold that to 18%. Um, 83 yards on those plays, 13.8 yards per play. So that is a lot, and you'd expect Stroud to do very well on ATS plays. Uh, Stroud is actually more capable throwing the ball down the field, I thought, than I expected him to be in this game. I did not expect him to, to really try, particularly with the weather being what it was. Yeah, Good amount of wind, cold as hell. I didn't think he'd really test the middle of the field deep or or really anywhere deep. Yeah, he had what was it? Two to Collins. There was one on like a third and 13. That was like a mm-hmm. 20 yarder or something, maybe a little bit longer than that, somewhere in that range. Um, I think he had like two to Collins that were a little bit further down the field. Schultz might have had a couple 10, 15 yarders, something like that. Yeah. Um, but that was it by and large. It wasn't a whole lot in terms of, you know stuff really down the field. Certainly not what we saw from them against the Browns. <laughs> no. Nothing like that. Um, and that's kind of been the hallmark, right, with Mike McDonald. Um, yeah. but, you know, since since they've kind of really hit their stride defensively. Uh, defensively, I, I say it all the time. He keeps the lid on the cookie jar, right? Yeah. We're, just, we're just not going to let you take the cookies. You're going to have to work, right? We're not just giving them out. So <laughs> I love it because I think it's very difficult to consistently put together 10, not, 10, 11, 12, um, you know, play drives and finish that off with a touchdown uh, multiple times in a game. If you can do it, you tip your cap to that team and say, hey, mm-hmm. you earned it. But I think it's very hard to consistently score touchdowns that way in the NFL. So I I, I love that, that sort of philo- philosophical approach. I mean, the, the great thing about 10, 11, 12 play drives is they give times for things to go wrong. And I don't just mean turnovers because defense needs variation of all sort. They, turnovers are great because they end the drive right there. And if you, you take 12 plays, you're going to have a greater chance of a turnover, generally speaking, than if you do it in eight plays. But the other thing is that it gives you more of a chance to create a big offensive penalty that stalls your drive, a holding call. You know, and and if you're if if your choice is you have to run the ball against McDonald's defense because they they're not giving up longer pass plays and you really want to teach them a lesson well just wait till you run any kind of stretch play to the outside and have your guy hold on the edge when you didn't factor that into your whole equation of of uh of doing that so it's and it's obviously it's not just penalties either strings of incompletions can then help you and and the ravens are, are a team certainly that is is extremely well built and well coached to leverage when they have the opponent at a disadvantage and uh, I thought that was actually one of the better things from Stroud in this game is he did really convert some th- longer third downs, which was yeah. a little surprising. Yeah, I mean, the guys, look, clearly he's extremely talented. And, you know, you don't see rookie quarterbacks play at the level he's been playing at, you know, sort of down the stretch um, too often, right? It's, 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 it's pretty rare. First year head coach, first year quarterback. Um, so credit to him for how he's played. And, you know, like you said, he, he hit a couple plays, so credit to him, but the Ravens, you know, that's been another thing too. I think even in terms of coverage, we talked about in the run game, but even in terms of coverage, certainly they don't want to give up any plays down the field, but when it happens, I don't think that he overcorrects. You know what I mean? There's some defensive coordinators like, okay, well, we got hit for a 25, 30 yard or okay. Now we got to do this, right? We got to bring the house. He doesn't really overcorrect that way. Um, so 
it, it's more of a balance sort of thing. Like, hey, we're fine. We're fine. Okay. Sure. They hit that play on us, but guess what? We tackled them. We got them down. We're lining up again. Right. And we get to play another play. So I, I think it's a very even keeled approach because, you know, there's other defensive coordinators, not just for the Ravens, but across the league. Um, you back them into a corner and they're they're going to go to their fastball. And for most DCs, that fastball is pressure. <laughs> okay, That's what they're going to throw at you. And it's not that he doesn't because he does, mm-hmm. but he's, he's very calculated in how he does. it. Pressure is a is a high risk, high reward venture. Uh, in terms of getting it, but I, I, I agree he is very calculated about it. He's one of the best uh, around. Let's continue with this ATSBOQ pressure thing. The, the ball was out quick 13 times. This is where the Ravens' defense awfully good. 39% of all the throws, 49 yards on this place, 3.8 yards per play. That's terrible for starters. The average for for a ball out quick throw, very high percentage completion, or actually is very little variance in this category, and it'd be right around six yards per um, attempt would be normal. If if you're in the fives, particularly if it's a good quarterback, I'd say you've done a great job forcing them to play small ball, which is what the Ravens have basically done the whole year to opposing quarterbacks. Um, and and you know that's, that's generally a good thing. Now there's no turnovers in there. There's there's obviously no sacks if it's ball out quick. Um, but uh, you know it's it, that's an outstanding number there and a, and a really a uh, a kind of a failure for the Texans in this game. Yeah, and you know that's not a a terrible offensive line. Obviously, Tunsil is extremely good. Everybody mm-hmm. knows Tunsil at left tackle. He's very good. Um, Juice Scruggs, okay, even though he's not great yesterday. But, you know, if you look at some of their other games throughout the season, some of the other people they've shuffled in there at left guard, <laughs> uh, it's it's been even worse. But Shaq Mason at right guard, good player. Um, Bad you know, game, I think, but good player. Yeah, yeah. That's, I'm, just, I'm telling you, they put together some really good rushes. Mm-hmm. They really do. When you go through and you just isolate on some of the rushes and forget about the fact that they didn't have sacks, you're like, these are good rushes. They're consistently making him move off of his spot consistently. So, well, I'll, t- I'll tell you what that really showed up when we did the notes is how many times I had to say LG69 to Maureen when we're when we're writing these down, and and you know it shows up note after note after note. He's getting he's getting manipulated. It did really look like more than Dieter, who I thought was really one of their really weak yeah. links. You know, him being a tall guy, you get completely out leveraged by a player like Pierce or like Travis Jones. I mean, that's an easy penetration opportunity. But more than anybody, they, they look like they were targeting Mason the whole game. Yeah. Yeah. The guards, for sure. Mm-hmm. I definitely look like because because, yeah, Scruggs, it was it was a rough one uh, yeah. <laughs> yesterday for him. He, you know, individual losses, uh, pick games, you know, he's he's getting picked off and different things. So, yeah, they seem to really go after those guards. I mean, it was almost like one of those games where and I, I don't have the numbers, so I, I don't know. This was just me quarter watching. It, it felt like um, away rushed against uh, Tunsil probably more than any other individual rusher. Yeah. Um, and it was almost like, hey, look, this guy's really good. This is going to be a for the love of the game situation for you right now. We just need you to go and just rush him and rush him and rush him. Because at some point you're like, hey, can I go over there to that right tackle? Yeah, I might be able to beat that guy. But no, Dape, we need you over here. We're going to do some other things with the other parts of their line where we think we can have some success. We're just going to need, like I said, I, I call those kinds of things. I talk about it for wide receivers too, running like clear out routes and stuff. It's for the love of the game. You know you're not getting the ball, <laughs> but you're doing it because you love the game. So I'm looking at Adafe, and I'm like, he is just getting locked up. Uh, you know, he, 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 but that's Tunsil. That's Tunsil. So, uh, but look, it benefited other people for sure. 
because you can put Tunsil on an island. He's going to take care of whoever rushes him. Now you've got these four other guys who aren't on that level, and you can begin to attack them, them apart in a yeah. variety of ways, which they yeah. did. Yeah, it, it, I mean, I, I didn't think even Owe had a particularly terrible game or anything. He, he got he got by Tunsil low once, and he basically got pancaked he as he was prone, getting, yeah. <laughs> getting there. But he, but he had an effect on Stroud. He flushed him out of the pocket, and then yeah. there was there was secondary pursuit that got after him. And I don't remember if that play worked out or not, actually. But it, but uh, that was – something's bothering me. And this is the kind of thing I should not go back and try to correct myself on because it's not important for the show. And so I've wasted an additional 15 seconds explaining why I shouldn't go back to the thing I'm going to go back <laughs> Shaq Mason is the right guard. It's RG69 that I kept saying. And Maureen kept getting angry at me because I was messing up at the LGRG with mm. Mason. <laughs> Wait a minute. He was the RG before. Now he's the LG. Some, I, sometime I'm going to put out like 10 minutes of us doing notes. And you realize just how much banter there is between the two of us as we're going. It's like we're, we're just the sniping at each other. <laughs> Actually, I think some people would find it funny, but I, I love her very much. She is just a wonderful woman for me. It's like you guys are out on the field, the way players have got to communicate with each yeah. other on the field. <laughs> That's how you're doing it. Yeah. Uh, she does. She does not let anything pass either. She's definitely the, the, the quality control coach in, in that regard. Very important. Very important role. All right. Uh, pressure. 14 plays. 42% again. And that's very close to the Ravens number for the whole season. They might be 41 or 42%. Uh, 43 yards on those plays. 3.1 yards per play. It's not a particularly good number for Stroud. It's actually a little higher than Ravens opponents have had under pressure this season, which is really good because I think that, that three and a half yards might be a normal standard. and The Ravens are down about two yards per play. Uh, with pressure so uh just outstanding uh a game again uh i got pass rush numbers and results I'll, I'll point people to the article on that they only rushed five eight times out of 33 so mcdonald going back to your overreaction not overreacting point uh is a guy who who has he almost seems to have a pitch count on the number of times he'll really send a five-man pressure even if it's working he, he doesn't go to it on 50 percent of the plays even if it's working yeah, it wouldn't surprise me because he seems like a guy who uh, very open to embracing analytics. Younger guy. I mean, look, I'm not saying you got to be young to embrace it. Certainly I'm not. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but a younger guy, open mind. Right. So I think he's probably pretty, pretty willing to to listen to those kinds of things. And I wouldn't be surprised considering the Ravens analytics department. They've had, you know, one of the better departments in mm-hmm. the league. Um, if they've looked at stuff like that if they've just looked at numbers and like sort of the, you know, the effectiveness of bringing five man rushers in certain situations versus, you know, only rushing four in certain situations. And if they've got, you know, some sort of study or some sort of research to say, Hey, maybe there's a, there's a tipping point where yeah. you do it too many times and the the returns start to diminish regardless, yeah. you know? So I have no idea if any of that exists at all. It just wouldn't surprise me because they seem like the kind of group that they, they turn over every stone. Right. Yeah. They look at everything. They think about everything. They've got a lot of smart people um, sort of thinking about things in different ways. And he's the kind of guy who I think would be at least open to it. Right. He's still going to design his game plan and call it the way he wants to call it. But I think if you come to him with solid information, he's not going to dismiss it. Like, ah, oh, nah, you don't, I don't need that. You know, I think he'll look at it and say, hey, it, it looks like there's something here. Let, let's, let's see. And, um, you know, maybe we can incorporate it into what we're doing. Where where he went, you know, where he got his training wheels taken off as a defensive coordinator at Michigan. And by the way, 
that may well be where the Ravens get their next defensive coordinator because Minter, Minter, yeah, may well be the guy there. Um, the they have embraced analytics in a way that's unbelievable. A couple PFF interns there uh, had been assistants to Matt Weiss. Um, you know, various analytics projects that he'd been involved in while he was there. Um, and they were still, they're, they're still there. The, the, the big one is Arjun Menon, who, mm-hmm. um, yeah, he's, he's very, very focused on being a GM someday. He's been on the show about five, six times now, but puts out terrific stuff. Uh, uh, uh former PFN intern. He's also interned with the New York Jets. Um, but he's well on his way to a career in pro football if, if yeah. he doesn't get lured away by Wall Street money or something else, which is, you know, I, I could, Seriously, get him, but yeah. uh, uh, he'll he'll uh, he'll be very successful. And, and the fact that Michigan had embraced it so much would tell me that it's probably in McDonald's DNA as well. That yeah. that uh, uh, he, he would be uh, on that. So I think your points your points well taken. Let me toss in a couple more things here. Deceptive elements, real quick. Off ball blitzes, eight of those during the game, a little bit higher than they had been doing. Three point four yards per play on those eight, but point twenty four per play. All singles, no, no, didn't rush two or three. By the way, you look at the, t- the way the Texans responded to Lamar Jackson, a little bit of success with pressure in the first half. They stayed with pressure in the second half, yep. and it did not work out for them. They, they, you live by the sword, you die by the sword. There you go. <laughs> there you go. Stunts, seven singles, three doubles in this game. The Ravens have been a stunting team. Part, part of the thing that makes you a stunting team is when the players can call their own games on the mm-hmm. field and you're not blitzing you can call a stunt on any of those plays in theory. That's what Calais Campbell has said in interviews before. And, and so, um, you know, those, those players are highly empowered to, to, to set their own games. And they probably like certain players who are good at being the under player. know that usually creates a good opportunity for them. And that, and there's other guys who like to be the looper and like to use their speed to potentially get a free run. And, and I think they, they, they just enjoy that and, and they do it more. And I think a lot of that is frankly due to the fact they're blitzing less. Yeah. And some guys we've I think we've talked about that before, even going back to Pease, where Dean Pease talked about that, where he gives he gave guys flexibility to just read. He called it reading it out. Yeah. Just read it out. However, the blocker is setting you. OK, you're going to go here. I'm going to go there and we just work off one another. Um, the other thing that you see is certain pairs of guys work better together than oh, other yeah. pairs of guys like Matabike and Queen. It's, it's a combo you wouldn't expect <laughs> because it's an awesome ball linebacker and a DT, but they work really well together. As opposed I, to you know some other group, some other combination. I, I completely agree. And one thing that has switched as years gone on, Matabike and Pierce, terrific at it together. I thought yeah. uh, Pierce is a good looping player, which you would not expect. <laughs> I, 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 you look at Pierce, you say, well, there's a guy who's meant to be the under guy, if ever there was one, you know, to, to, to set the pick, to go inside, and then take advantage of a, of a you know a half-ass block that has to be peeled off. You know, the other one has to be peeled off to, to take the looper. But it's it's something that that uh, he's really better at, at looping. And, and you know, there's there's kind of an, oh, my God, Michael Pierce is coming around factor that if I don't stop him quickly, it's going to be bad. But Matabike, just a ball of muscle that if there's one half-ass block against him, he's going to beat it pretty easily. And uh, Ravens had a few great under players in their history. He's right up there with you know players like Tim Jernigan and Trevor Price mm-hmm. and some other guys like that who could who really understood the value of trying to take – Pernell McPhee be another one, of, of taking that double team up front and then, and then getting off it when it's only one. I was reading something earlier this week. Speak when you mentioned Michael Pierce and, and his ability to be the, the looper. He played linebacker in high school. You met a 260-pound linebacker. <laughs> I'm not saying exclusively. He played on the D-line, too. But he, he, he played linebacker. And I, and I was reading the article, and the coach said he was like 260. I was like, this is like a LeVon Kirkland like throwback. Like, you don't yeah. 
see linebacker, but you can tell. I mean, we've been able to see it throughout his career here. He for 340, you know, wherever Mike's at right now, (laughs) he moves extremely well for a guy his size. Yeah, he he definitely does. And you know, there's other players who have been you know very disadvantaged in how they move, but from from their weight. But he's definitely not one of those. Yeah. Uh, you know, Terrence Cody is a guy who you know he was described as having some quickness. I know he had some big special teams blocks when when he was in college, but it definitely that quickness was pretty well gone by the time he got to the NFL in any kind of relative sense. Is that you yeah. know the play all the athletes are faster, all the athletes are better, and all of a sudden, what little quickness he had isn't really quickness anymore. Mm-mm. Different, different end of the spectrum for Mount yeah. Cody. <laughs> all right. A- any other information you want? Please go out and look in the article online, and, and that helps all the simulated pressures, which they had only four of, and multiple elements, and this and that. Matabike led the team with contributions to five pressure events. By the way, if you see seven on PFF, that that number could be perfectly fine by their definition. They include continuation pressures, and I don't. If like, if a pressure comes late. You don't get credit for it. And he did have one, I think, one late QH in this game where he actually worked off somebody else's pressure uh, to get it. So that's you know just a different different definition. But Matabike, any way you slice it, had a pretty freaking great game. Michael and I will talk about that in part two, where I hope you'll join us. Uh, Michael, can't tell you how much I enjoy having you on to talk football again. It's uh, it's just uh, it's always a pleasure to spend a couple hours with you, and and uh, even when that becomes. Two and a half or two and three quarters. <laughs> it's always fun, Ken. I I, I enjoy it. Uh, and it just feels natural, right? It feels very comfortable. We can yeah. go a whole season without doing this. And then we we, we do it. Jump and it's right like we've in. been doing it forever. And I, I think I would absolutely love to do the Super Bowl show you're saying. And obviously, particularly if the Ravens win it, we're going to want to commemorate this moment. And I think doing an extended defensive show and, and tell us how, how you feel about this guys if you're listening to this show comment on this and include at abakari in your in your uh, comment here about how much you'd like to hear a four-hour every play review of the defense from the super bowl if the ravens play this year yeah that would be quite the undertaking but i told ken hey i'm i'm up for it um obviously they they've got more work uh to do uh before that happens but if it happens then yeah i'm, I'm definitely up for that all right. Mike, tell, tell everybody where they can uh, find you online. Oh, at Abukari, A-B-U-K-A-R-I. I still say Twitter. I won't call it X. Uh, and then, you know, you can still check out uh, the podcast I do with uh, Chris Aguilera and Kerry Stevenson, Deep Cover Podcast. Get it wherever you get your podcast. And then the Fire Zone Show with Denard Melton. Same thing. Get it wherever you get your podcast. They're both there. Both really good shows. I think I've been a guest on both because I remember being on, certainly have done individual shows with all yeah. the people involved in both of them. Uh, but Denard's been on this show. Michael talks about him from time to time. Is is a fun guy to talk defense with in particular because he's an ex-linebacker at JMU, I believe. Yep. And and Kerry uh, 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 Stevenson and and Chris Aguilera have both been on the show as well before. Uh, always appreciate talking football with them. I, I'd highly recommend you give both those sh- both those pods a chance. I know they don't get promoted mm-hmm. as much as the other ones do. A lot of podcasting is in how much these things get promoted in the community, and it tends to just not be relative to the quality of the pod. I'll, it's just what I'll say. Yeah. And we, we, you have some pods out there that just they don't get very many listens, and they deserve a lot more listenership, and those are two of them. Okay, so please. Now, I appreciate that, Ken. I was just going to say, you know, it's, it's something we talked about years ago. We've been doing deep cover for five years now, five or six. I want to say uh, Fire Zone for like four. It's like two years less. Um, 
but we just kind of, you know, look, we've got a, we've got a, a niche, you know, of listeners who kind of like what we do. It's very small. And we're like, there's things we could do to promote more or do this or do that. But we do it because we enjoy it. We like talking to each other. We love, you know, just kind of spending time and, and talking football and just really talking life with one another. And so there's a small group of people that kind of dig that. And so we're like, well, we'll, we'll, we'll do it for them. And then, you know, if it goes beyond that, great. If it doesn't, that's cool too. You know, everything is not for everybody. So we've, we've just been content with doing it the way we do it. But uh, by all means, you know, if people want to listen, <laughs> please, please do. I'm not saying that, but uh, yeah, it, it's been an, it's been an interesting journey on that because there's different ways to approach it and you can kind of try to go in different directions and monetize and try to do better in terms of marketing and promotion. But then, you know, you can lose some things sometimes. So, you know, different, different strokes for different folks. And that's, that's just how we approach it. I mean, I'm in a, I'm in a similar position in terms of, you know, shorter content would probably be more popular in yeah. terms of being able to get, and I, you know, I'm victim to the same thing. Cause I'll go and I'll you know, want, want to watch video to catch up on world events, the war in Ukraine, what's going on in the middle East, whatever. And I, you know, I find myself gravitating to 12 and 15 minute pods instead of, you know, an hour pod. So how can I, you know, be a hypocrite and put out a one hour <laughs> pod and, and expect people to listen to us anyway. Yeah. Uh, I, I do understand this. And, and, you know, one of the other things I appreciated about those two pods is they both have kind of a teaching bent to them, which I'm always in favor of. I think, you know, when, when you're, when your pod has a little bit of a teaching bent to it, there's, there's people who know the stuff already and they're going to listen to your explanation. They're going to kind of grade you on the explanation you give. So when Michael explains some concept about zone runs or, you know, blocking schemes on, on run plays or whatever you, he might be going into, um, he, he's he's going to do that. And somebody else who's, who's been an offensive lineman in the past who knows what these things mean is going to say, you yeah, know, that's, that's a really good point he made. And I really like the way he explained that about it. And the other person who's listening to it for the first time is really gaining valuable insight. And, and they'll do it in a way that, that uh, you know, Michael does very well. So anyway, I think I, I really appreciate the pods that have that teaching bent to them. And and uh, I think you'll find that if you if you listen to uh, Michael's show. Appreciate it, Ken. All right. Other folks out there, if you'd like to be on a film study short, hit me up. Uh, we might be coming up on a bye week. We certainly hope we're coming up on another bye week after one more game in uh, in Baltimore here. And if so, it's another opportunity to get some pods. So think in two sets. If you've got something that needs to go before the Super Bowl, hit me up as quickly as possible. If you've got something for even a multi-episode short um, in the offseason, that's cool too. Hit me up. DMs are always open. I'll get back to you very quickly on Twitter, as, as folks know, and uh, uh, that always uh, never takes very long. Michael, thanks again for coming on. Appreciate you having me, Ken. It's been a blast. And we'll talk to you next time on Film Study. big money on plant protection supplies now at menards defend your garden with triazicide insect killer its fast acting formula protects lawns vegetables and many other plants it kills more than 260 insects by contact above and below ground choose from ready to spray concentrate or granular save big money on triazicide insect killer at menards and check out our weekly flyer on menards.com for all the great deals happening now save big